Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, January 6th, 2022. I'm Mike Kachopoli. All right, here we are, big end of the week show. What great timing this is. This is fantastic timing. This is the best timing ever. Well, it's all over. It's all over. Uh, as many of you may have just watched, literally 10 minutes before uh, the show started, uh, Kevin McCarthy was sworn in as the Speaker of the House. The 118th Congress has now started. They were all sworn in. Um, and it's all done. I believe it was 1-5, vote number 15, that he was finally able to get, I think, 216, not 218, because I don't know, people voted present instead of no. So, you know, instead of for someone else, so it lowered the total he needed. And so he got to the total he needed, and he is now Speaker of the House. Okay, so it's over. It's over. It took a week. It took four days, actually, right? Because Monday, the, so it took four days. It took 15 rounds of voting. Um, and it, they had to actually, you know what? You know what? It's amazing. Congress actually had to work for a few days. Isn't that amazing? They actually had to work for a few days. They actually had to actually do something for a few days. I mean, this is, who, so what? I think it's a good thing. They should work this hard when it comes to like debating actual bills. They should stay there till one in the morning, two in the morning when it comes to debating actual bills. I think that's when this finally was all settled, like 1230 in the morning, uh, Eastern time. 1230. Yeah, almost. Yeah, actually, almost one o'clock in the morning, Eastern time. It was when it was finally decided on Saturday morning. So they worked they worked a long day. The last couple of days were really long days. And you know Kevin McCarthy probably wasn't sleeping much because he was probably working the phones overnight all week as long, you know, to get to get the votes he needed. And um, it shows a couple of things. It shows that, you know, McCarthy seems to be a real fighter. He didn't give up. It would have been easy at some point there after humiliating vote after humiliating vote to just say, okay, nominate somebody else. But he didn't. He stuck in there. He fought the good fight and he won. Now we'll see what happens from here on in. It almost happened on Insurrection Day. It almost happened on the second. Of course, Insurrection Day, I say in quotes, Insurrection Day. Um, it almost happened exactly two years later, but it was just about January. It was January 7th, technically, I guess, when he was elected speaker. But um, uh, look, this is democracy in action. And if you look at what, what, what happened, I think it's only going to make the Republican Party stronger. I really do. Uh, there was almost a fight, I understand. There was almost a fight on the House floor after the 14th vote. Um, I think someone wanted to strangle Matt, Matt Gates. I think he prevented McCarthy from winning narrowly on the 14th vote. Um, and uh, that is kind of what happens sometimes in other in legislatures in other countries. You've seen them, right? Like in China, they they, they punch each other and they go crazy. And in, in, in the UK, if Gator shows up tonight or maybe next week, he can talk about how in the UK in Parliament, they always yell at each other and scream at each other. Very rare. In this country, usually there's this ridiculous decorum here, especially in the Senate, right? Even more so than the House, where you you can't do anything like that. You can't yell at someone. You can't raise your voice, you know. Uh, so it's a uh, this was actually refreshing in a way. Too bad there wasn't an actual fight. That would have been more exciting. If there was an actual fight, it would have been even more exciting. I have to admit, but it got close. It got close. Um, and I think I, I I missed a lot of the action. I literally. 
turned on the TV about an hour ago because I was uh, doing my diligence and seeing a film so I could do a couple of film reviews tonight for you guys at the end of the show. And so I missed the fight part. I also just missed by a few minutes. Maybe someone can enlighten me on this. Um, over the weekend, I'll, 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 re I'll, I'll look at it, but I heard Hakeem Jeffries made some kind of a speech and a lot of the Republicans are mad. Evidently, it was like a sour grapes kind of a speech. And he went on too long. It was too like a it was too political, the speech. It was too much of a knife throwing um, when people felt he should have been just simply more uh, unifying at the end of the whole process. Um, but this is look, this is not a shock. And once again, I don't I, I, I don't really it doesn't really bother me. In the in, in an overall sense, when a Democrat or anybody gives a, a politically motivated speech that gets people upset. But the problem is that Democrats, are the, the bullshit artist hypocrites, right? Are always like, well, no, we don't need to get personal. No, this is the Republicans are so nasty. They're so nasty. They're white supremacists. They're nasty. They're violent. They're domestic terrorists. And then they're the ones who, you know, always usually start the start the fights anyway. So that's what bothers me. You know, if you're going to be this kumbaya party, then you have to give kumbaya speeches. And if you're not going to do that, then just shut up and let it be this free for all. Let, let it be what it should be, which is parties going after each other, people within parties going after each other, really fighting for what they believe in. You know, re really fighting for what they believe in. And that's what happened. Those those 20 to 25 holdouts were fighting for what they believed in. And I'll, I'll read in a second. I was looking last night at some of the concessions they wanted. And actually, some of them, all of them, I think, are pretty damn good. And the thing about the concessions that the Republicans got, that these holdouts got, what's funny about it is no Democrat can really criticize them, right? I think one of them was to do have term limits. They want term limits, right? This Freedom Caucus wants term limits. Is that a bad thing? So a Democrat's really going to vote against term limits? Maybe they will. But we know that it's so easy to get reelected. Once you're elected to the House, especially, you have like a 95% chance of being reelected. So why would you want term limits? You know, selfishly, why would you want term limits, right? Because then you're limiting. I mean, you can be like Pelosi and you could be in there for 30 years, 40 years and get wealthy. So why not do that? So, but most Americans, when you poll, they want term limits. They don't want these lifetime politicians. They don't want people like Pelosi and 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 uh, McConnell and Schumer and Biden to be in Congress forever, right? They don't want that. They don't want half century long politician political careers. They don't want it. They believe it breeds corruption, and it does. It breeds complacency, which it does. It breeds co corruption and complacency. So these holdouts simply wanted to say that we're going to have a vote on term limits. So each of them can show the American public how they're going to vote on term limits. Are Democrats really going to go and vote against term limits? The Democrat Party, the party of the of the people, are going to vote against term limits? It's hard to believe. We'll see what happens. Um, also, this whole idea where one person, I believe one person can object and hold a, uh, a vote for a new speaker. It, it's easier. The process will become easier to vote out a speaker and vote in a new speaker during a term, I believe. I believe that's also something uh, they wanted. Um, I'll read this. I'm going through this Fox News article. They have some interesting. I'll read it in a second. Uh, here, well, McCarthy allowed, McCarthy agreed to allow a single lawmaker to make a motion 
to elect a new speaker, returning to the way the House ran for decades before that practice was eliminated by Pelosi. That's right. She eliminated that practice. Pelosi is the one who wanted to make it hard to get rid of a speaker. I wonder why. He agreed to vote on term limits and the adoption of a budget resolution that balances the budget in 10 years and a cap on a fiscal year 2024 spending at FY 2020 levels. So if you're a Democrat, first of all, as one of these, as one of the holdouts, I forgot who it was, said yesterday, why do they have to ask for these things? Why? These seem like very common sense things. Undoing Pelosi's um, handcuffing of members to get rid of the speaker so you can remain speaker forever. Um, having a vote on term limits, which most Americans believe in. Balancing the budget. Why do you... Why did it take four days? McCarthy agreed to reject any negotiations on spending with the Senate until the Senate passes its own spending bills. He agreed not to increase the debt limit without spending cuts or other fiscal reforms to set up a committee to examine the weaponization of government against U.S. citizens and to ensure no bills are brought up on the floor until at least 72 hours pass. And I believe they also agreed to do the 12 bills as separate bills, 12, right, separate bills, instead of putting everything in one bill, that's 80,000 pages. These are all things that make sense to me. I don't know why it took so long. But what this proves is those people were not just holding out for airtime or to destroy the party. They were there to get these very common sense things agreed to. And the question is, why do they have to even ask for them? I don't get it. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Um, you should have agreed to not send any more money to Ukraine, but I guess that never would have happened. Um, yeah. So this process, as it played out, really showed people what Congress can be like when there's real debate, right? When there's real negotiation and when you really have to work for something, right? Let McConnell work for the American people the same way he just worked to get himself elected speaker. And I think that is something that the notice that was served to him by his members on his caucus is that they're going to make him work for things, right? They're going to make him work for the American people. They're going to make him work hard. All right. They're just not going to give him everything he wants. If they feel that it doesn't benefit their constituents, and I think there's nothing wrong with that, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Look, this was a kind of a, a, you know a predictable ending. I know there are some who think these people are sellouts, and they never should have voted for him, and they should have forced them to nominate somebody else. But let's face it, the math is simple. He always had ninety percent of the people, so <laughs> it's hard to see anybody else having gotten to 218 or 216 or whatever it was. He was obviously the closest, right? He was by far the closest. So what makes more sense, if you're a logical, fair-thinking person, is you just negotiate with him and make him give some concessions to get those extra 15 votes. That's what you do, all right? That, that, that's the past of least resistance. That's the most common sense, realistic way to get this done in less than several months, which wouldn't benefit anybody, you know. I mean, you fight to take over the house, and then you you know you you hold things up for months. That doesn't make any that doesn't make any real sense. 
I know there are some people who really do just want to burn things down. But those are usually people who don't have to actually have these jobs and do these jobs. All right. That's really not the answer. Literally not going to accomplish anything. But what I think was accomplished was the fact that they showed this is real negotiation, Congress actually really working for their money and actually having to do something and to sweat a little bit. Right. And I think it will be uh, will make them stronger, uh, you know, in the long run. And it shows that McConnell, he knows now he's going to have to work to get votes for things, to whip up votes. He's going to have to really work for it. He's going to have to negotiate with people who don't want the status quo, right? He's going to have to work with these people who don't want the same old, same old. And he's going to have to work with them all the way through now. So I think when you have the extremists on the uh, uh, on the right, if you will, saying – I don't know if they're extremists on the right, just the anti-establishment pro-Trump people – who think just burn it all down, these are all sellouts. I think that's kind of stupid. And when you see people on the left saying, oh, this shows how Republicans are in disarray and oh, can't get can't get their shit together, that's, of course, total bullshit also. So, in fact, as, um, as Charlie Kirk said, and I think I, I, had, I had mentioned this before, you know, just to see how much of a cult the Democratic Party has become, which is this cult of they agree on everything, there's no disagreement, um, they elected a new cult leader in Hakeem Jeffries, as far as the House goes, and they march in lockstep with each other with no independent thought, no debate, um, no, no real debating that politicians in Congress are supposed to do. And when you therefore basically you get a shit result in the end, right, because you don't get all these look at look at all these really common sense issues that these Republicans were able to get done, right? In the last, in just four days, basically, in the last four days of negotiations, you'll see none of that within the Democratic Party because they just agree right up up front. Just no, you know, no waves. Follow the party leader, and that's that. And that's a very cult way of thinking. I said that Orwellian mantra that they all agreed to tweet. They all agreed to tweet, whether it was a verbal agreement or not. They all agreed to tweet if they got COVID to tweet they got COVID, and then thank the vaccines for getting COVID. They all agreed to do that. And they all did it with basically 95% of the words being exactly the same, right? Then they all agreed to break out popcorn this week, right? They all agreed to talk about popcorn or show a selfie with popcorn or bring in popcorn. They all agreed to that. So it, it, it's, it's, it's scary, I think. It really is Orwellian and scary that the Democrats seem to have no independent thinkers anymore. And the ones who pretend to be independent thinkers really just there to shoot their mouths off for a while on Twitter. And in the end, they march in lockstep, such as, you know, Nancy Pelosi being uh, always elected on the first ballot. So I think it's it's a I, I think really a, a lot of it stems once again. I sound like a broken record. I know but a lot of it stems from covid. In the way the left, the Democrats and the see the left, the Democrats, the, that big blanket umbrella left that used to fight. Right. The progressives used to fight the establishment. They all got on board with each other very quickly in March of 2020. They all got on board and they've stayed on board for the last three years since. I think that created this cultish Orwellian groupthink. And now they're stuck in that. They, they might break out of it at some point down the road. I hope they do. There could be an issue that splinters that. But I think it's COVID that and, – and Trump, right? Because you can see progressive Democrats and establishment Democrats kind of all hated Trump, right? They all had Trump derangement syndrome of, of, some, of some degree. 
So I think Trump and COVID really united that party, but not united in a good way. Like I say, united in a way that's very Orwellian groupthink kind of way where there's no dissent. And I really hope they break free of that. I really hope they can break free of that. But as we've seen, it's going to take forever. It's going to take forever for Trump derangement syndrome and COVID, you know, hysteria to go away. So, um, but that really fucked up the Democrats' brains in so many ways, that one-two punch of Trump and COVID. It was a really one-two knockout of a, of a combination for, for Democrats' minds. And uh, now we see the Republican Party. It's almost like parties have flipped. It used to be. People don't remember. Like, if you think <laughs> people, they have such short attention spans. They can't think back five years or 10 years or 15, 20 years when it was flipped. It was always the Democrats who would complain that everyone has a different train of thought and they can never get on board with anything. And you have the left and the center of the right and the progressives and the and now and the Republicans were the ones who marched in lockstep and were always together. Now that kind of has flipped. And the Republican Party is more of the independent thinker party, especially with this with this Freedom Caucus, with with people like, you know, Boebert and, and Gates and all those people. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's it, they're the party now of the rebels. Right. Where the Democrats now are all totally marching in lockstep with each other. So, you know, uh, it flipped. It could flip back. But right now, this, that's the situation we're in. And this House vote proved it. This House vote proved it. There were Democrats who, for their entire campaigns back in 2020, were running against Nancy Pelosi. Like, you know, in 2016, 2018, AOC, they were running against Nancy Pelosi. Really? I mean, they would they would their constituents would curse Nancy Pelosi and they would pat him on the back for it and say, I hate her, too. And then when it comes time, as soon as they take office, they vote for her for speaker on the first ballot. So it, it's an incredible, you know, sort of phoniness within Democrats and the Democratic Party where these Republicans, they stood up for what they believed in. They stood up for what they believed in. They wanted to challenge McCarthy. They wanted to get concessions from McCarthy. And if they didn't get them, they were never going to vote for him. And they made them sweat it out. And so they kept their word. They kept their word. I'm, I'm sure when they ran for office, some of them or re, what, ran for office to re-election or they were elected for the first time. Part of this was telling their constituents that we're going to make McCarthy work for it. You know, we're really going to we're, we're not just going to give lip service and then just hand it to him on the first ballot with zero concessions, not having to make him work for it. So they held up their bargain to their constituents where those progressives, in quotes, who ran for office and said that they were going to, oh, I've never, we got to get Pelosi out of there. Yeah, we got to get Pelosi out of there. First vote, Nancy Pelosi. Hypocrites. Lance, long time no speak. How are you, Lance? How's it going? Good, Mike. How you doing, buddy? All right. You've been following the Speaker of the House stuff? Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but like you, <laughs> like you were saying, how things flipped. Happy New Year, by the way. Oh. You too, you too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, just just to flesh, flesh it out a little bit, you know, the Republicans, uh, so in other words, back in the day, not even, you know, up until the 80s, really, 90s even, whatever, you had a three-to-one split nationally, Democratic to Republican registration, three-to-one. Yes. But – and just to be very, very brief, right? So you had the coastal elites then as now, 
that were Democrats. You had the lunch bucket working class, of course, everybody, you know, upper, upper uh, Midwest and all the way over through to Massachusetts, all the middle class, you know, Rust Belt, all the way across. Right? You had that. And you had the Southern. So now they weren't all racist, but it, you know, a lot of it was racially insane. You had the Southern white, uh, the Southern white block of Democrat. It was the, the solid South Democrat. So of course they, you know, you can vote wherever you want. So it wasn't like three to one in the House, three to one in the, although it was a lot of Democratic overwhelming uh, control. They really did for that reason. But nationally, nationally, Republicans always did well. And that's because, and the reason is just like you're, it's in the DNA of Republicans because of what I'm saying, they had to unite. And they didn't win as much in the Senate and House, but they could win the presidency. And they were just, and so I really in some, anthology about, I don't know, discussions about democracy or something. And it was saying how the Republican Party is the party of commerce. It's always been, it was started by, you know, different coalitions and abolitionists, but it was, of course, it's always been the country club Republican, you know, the business, the business party. And so they're good at commerce. They're good at selling whatever it is, whether it's a good widget or a bad widget, they're good at selling. And so they would, and they would all have to, whatever their coalition was, they really had to be cohesive and say, we don't care. We got to vote for our guy. Try to get the best guy. But they had to be the one that united, like you're saying, without too much dissent because they right. had to to win because they were so right. outnumbered. Now you got the flip, like you said, where now it's the Democrats that are in lockstep and it's the Republicans that have these factions of dissent. And it's just. Did you go away, Lance? Where'd you go? Lance disappeared. If you want to come. Well, Mike, I. Oh, and you like to talk probably more than I do, which is hard to say. No, no I, I made my basic point, but I wanted to, no one, I wanted no, to no mute. To, no, I just wanted to mute to, to say there's that point. Get your response, and then I'll. All right. No, yeah. Now it's more when you look at <clears throat> registrations, Republicans are and Democrats are kind of even, but Republicans are now gaining, right? <clears throat> Sorry, like in Florida. Republicans are gaining registrations. Even in blue states like Pennsylvania, they've gained in registration. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised by 2024, you know, if it's a little bit more. But it's basically been for a while now, even like 25, 25, then 50 independent. But um, that's very true. That's very true. And it used to be, I remember growing up as a kid in the 80s, I, I'd always hear, well, Demo there are more people who are Democrats. There are many more people who are Democrats. And of course, that's not the case anymore. You know, it's just it's just not the case anymore. A lot of people have left. It's something they don't want to talk about because legacy media will never talk about this mass migration from well, the border migration or the migration from from Democrat to Republican over the last three or four decades, which there has been. It's been steady. and Now it's picking up um, because this whole idea, there were people out there that believed that the Democrats were the party of the worker. And most people in this country are or consider themselves workers. And people have gotten, they've caught on to that. They've caught on to that bullshit. And um, I think that uh, they've caught on to that bullshit. They've caught, Latinos have caught on to that bullshit. African-Americans are starting to catch on to that bullshit. So that they're leaving now and heading to the Republican Party, right? And so now the Republican Party has to keep those people because they'll go back again. They'll, once again, that's the problem with this two-party system. You can like, throw the ball back and forth, right? It's like, where else do you go? Where else do you go? When you can register it, the thing, you vote for a D or an R. That's it. Yeah. You can, the G and the L isn't going to get enough votes to win guts, anything. That's the way it goes. 
So yeah. that's pe- pe- so now the Republicans have to figure out, OK, how do we keep these people? How are we going to keep the people now who have who have come over to our poll? How did they keep me? How did they keep Mike Chapley? Now, once again, I'm a registered independent, but I will now vote Republican. So it's like, how do they keep me? Well, they have to follow through. And that's what these 2025 holdouts were, were wanting McCarthy to promise to do. Follow through. Follow, we've talked about, they've talked about uh, term limits. Follow through on that vote, right? Make each congressperson put their name when they're for or against term limits. Let, let them vote on, let it make it easier. Let get rid of that stupid Pelosi rule that locks in Speaker of the House and makes it so difficult to knock them out because, of course, she didn't want to get knocked out. And that was partly done because she saw the progressives coming in, right? And she wanted to make it tougher to knock her out. So that's what she did. So that was a power play. Get rid of that. Make sure these hearings are real hearings. Make sure the hearings that are coming on, whether it be whether it be, whether it be uh, Afghanistan or, or Hunter Biden or COVID, make them real hearings, right? Well, and uh, and not, not just pro forma bullshit. So there's a lot of stuff. Well, you know, I don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. 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 But when they talk about political theater, you can go all the way back, whether it's the Army McCarthy hearings, which were, it was good to get Joe McCarthy out of there, you know, fine. Right, right. No, no, no. But so I don't want to use that as, a, as an example. But a lot of these Watergate, sure. If you talk about political theater, you look at it and it's like these people on this way up high, you know, in this, in this semicircle. And then if it's a single witness, it's this little person at this big table all the way down lower. It's that way for a reason. And then Supreme Court, they're even higher up on even higher looking down because we're even higher. And we, you know, so so, yes, I get what you're saying. But here's something that, to the extent that it wasn't all political theater. And again, Historically, and maybe because I'm older and I can remember it without having to look it up in a history book, is that there were, like now, but a lot, a lot more, like conservative Democrats, what we call now blue dog Democrats. There was liberal Republicans right up until 2000. There was a couple left. Lincoln Chafee was a Republican senator from Rhode Island, called himself a liberal, liberal Republican, called himself a liberal. Um, And yeah, he, he was out of there in the late 90s, 2000. He was one of the last. Anyway, you could be a liberal Republican or a conservative Democrat. Wasn't a lot of each. They weren't the majority, but there was a sizable minority. So when someone says, yeah, back then you had the Democrats control and the Republicans control, uh, unless it was the presidency, then it was obviously that was the whole party and the executive branch. But it didn't mean the same thing where it was all Democrats and a few Republicans, all Republicans and a few. It was it was a mixed bag when when it came down to vote. Plenty of them Southern Democrats did not vote for those 60s uh, <laughs> civil rights stuff. It was liberal Republicans, literally, that had to help uh, push it over, whatever, whatever. So, well, let, let, so let, me mention one, let me mention one thing, Lance, while you're yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just looking. Uh, also, uh, McCarthy agreed to put Thomas Massey on the new – have you heard about this? The new Frank Church Committee. Do you remember the Frank Church Committee? Oh, to check out the CIA, FBI shenanigans? Right. In January of 75, Frank Church, Senator Frank Church led a new Senate committee sure, I know. to investigate allegations of U.S. government spying on its own citizens. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. He was from that Idaho was or somewhere. Baby. That was 75. So there's going to be a new yeah. Frank Church committee based on a lot of this Twitter stuff. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. Uh, Mike, I am not... 
one of these people, and I'm not criticizing you. You said you were Democrat, then you turned Republican or something like that, Sanders, whatever, no? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That That's absolutely appropriate. And I'm not saying, well, I'm going to be more consistent. And I'm not going to. So I don't mean this to say that just because you did it, then I'm not. What I'm saying is I'm not going to vote Republican. I'm not going to. In other words, on a local race, of course, I could vote for a Republican. I did for Onondaga County Executive because uh, she was a better candidate. And she was going to da 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 Okay. But uh, so on an individual basis, maybe. Yeah, sure. Uh, but no, in general, I'm not going to side with the Republicans. But. But, but, but if they're going to threaten, even if they're going to threaten with the government shut down for so we can't even run the government every, you know, and do the you can't. That, OK, now, before you that that's utter bullshit horseshit. But I'll take it. Believe it or not, I'll take it. I'll take it if it means they're going to do real investigations. About the FBI and CIA. And I will say this. I think they'll do it without being a, just a complete show. They have to make it a show these days because that's just the way it fucking is, and I hate that. But but as long as – now, here's a key. Here's a real key, Mike, a real key when it comes to these hearings. I, I can go real granular on this stuff thanks to my dad. That, my dad was like me. He could name, like, scores of congressmen. He could name most of the senators. I mean, he would really you know, watch a lot of C-SPAN in his retirement years and all that. That was his favorite channel, right? Uh, but as long as they allow witnesses, you got to allow the other side to have a, a certain number of witnesses – you know, so at least you get both sides at the panel. If you don't allow them to have witnesses, all you're going to get is one side. Right. That's true. Of course. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. And, you know, certain other things like that. As long as they conduct it fairly like that and don't turn it into just a showpiece from one side, I'll take the good with the bad. Even if it's shutting down a government bullshit, which I think is bullshit, I'll take it if they're going to do stuff about Fauci. Are you fucking kidding me? Rand Paul, Mr. Uh, Mr. Clocks, the clock is correct twice a day when it stops type of guy. I'm not a, I'm not a Rand Paul fan by any stretch, but he was the best uh, against Fauci and being a medical doctor somewhat. That doesn't make him a genius with everything medicine, but he knows what to ask. He understands the basics enough to grill him good. And so anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, look, I, I think once again, the process here is what's amazing is that this process was was criticized by so many people on all sides. Right? It was criticized by the assholes on CNN and MSNBC, and there were certain people on Fox who were criticizing the process. Just let, I mean, basically what they were saying was just let him win. What kind of crack of shit is that? I mean, you know, it's like it, that's what it really based, it, it boiled you win. Stop being such a pain in the ass. And then, you know, you look at these things they were looking to get and that they got, and they're all good things. So in the end, you look like you have egg on your face when you claim this was a bullshit process. This is what the this is what the Constitution said. This is what it's written in the Constitution that this is what you should be doing when you elect a speaker. It shouldn't be just this 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 you know the fait accompli thing where okay you're the next in line you're you're the next in line you're up you're the next in like a fucking batting order in baseball. That's the way it's supposed to be. This is the this is the way it actually should be from this point on. You know they said okay these are the most in, in 157 years there weren't 15 rounds. They made most rounds in 157 years. Great. Let's not let's not repeat yeah. let's not repeat the last hundred years where everything always happened on the first round. And that's what happens. Americans yeah. don't look into the history, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, so they go, Oh well, it's been like this for as long as I've been alive. Why are the Republicans doing this? There must be something wrong with them. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, what was wrong is that in a hundred years this never happened. Right, right, right. I was gonna throw this out at and I was gonna say 
I was going to preface it with, I'm sure you know this too, is that the Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a member of the House. Yeah, right. We've talked about that. It could have been anybody, but you know. Right. No, no. I knew you knew that. I knew you knew that. That that might be way too vanguard. No, 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 no. I don't mean that. But the principle is, like, you go back to Denny Hastert when Tom DeLay was the uh, majority leader. That, that, Danny Hassert, you know, as late as like not, you know, not that long ago, this century, you know, early 2000s, uh, Bush era, when Tom DeLay was the one, it was DeLay, DeLay, it was Tom DeLay. Everybody was like wondering what he was going to do, not what Denny freaking pedophile Hassert was going to do. But, uh, but, but anyway, so that's kind of what the speaker did. Now he represented the party, of course, but in a, in a divided, especially now, a traditional house speaker is not the house whip. He's not a vote counter. Okay. But he's kind of a compromiser and say, Hey, look, party of my own. I'm the speaker, but they ain't going to go for this and can kind of be a compromiser because he's the speaker when he has to, when there has to be negotiations on things or when it's like whoever's in control of the house, how can I get as a minority, well, if you're in the minority, you're not the speaker, but, you know, where it can be like, what kind of concessions, you know, so in other words, it's kind of a more diplomatic position than a, than as purely political position. It hasn't always been that way, and again, you can go back to Denny Hastert and say, yeah, he wasn't the one that was really doing the day-to-day running of the show and twisting arms and being the, the main negotiator. He wasn't going into the White House or going into the majority chamber, whatever, with the Senate leadership or whatever the hell they did to get their deals going. Hasser wasn't involved in all that. He kind of held back and kind of presided over it as opposed to being as actively involved in the day-to-day policy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, there's, there's no doubt about it. Super kind of a leader. He really did show we could, me, he really, he we showed could. me something. Um, uh, and someone was saying they've known McCarthy. I was watching someone uh, on, on an older man who said he'd known him for a long time and said he used to come across just your standard run-of-the-mill, by-the-numbers politician, and that he's really changed now, and that he, he'll really also learn from this, and he's become a real fighter, you know, and, and fighting for what he, he, he believes in. And so if he's that kind of a speaker, that, that's great. You know, and, and if he fights for these things that we just spoke about, these things that the Freedom Caucus people want done, then it could be a very good two years. You know, it could be a very good two years. Obviously, we're in a position where we have a split government, right? You have the Democrats controlling the Senate. You have schmuck face in the White House. So, you know, you can only control so much. But you can at least get what you believe passed in the House, you know, and then let, let the Democrats vote against it. Let them go. Let, them, let the Democrats go on record and vote against term limits, right? Let the Democrats try to prevent hearings and and not not cooperate with hearings citizens on the hunter biden laptop on the origins of covid on the policies that locked us down and hurt and killed so many let the democrats show the world show this country show the voters that they're going to fight back on that stuff against that stuff and i i don't don't think it's going to make them look too good you know let let hakeem jeffries give his very nasty politically motivated speeches you know, um, uh, you know, if there's any if there's anyone who's who to me seems like a a um, was created out of a lab to be a politician is Hakeem Jeffries. I, I don't like anything about him. I don't, I don't like one thing about the guy. Um, you know, uh, I don't think he's particularly intelligent, but, you know, he's just like that. He's like he's been it's almost like he was creating a lab to be the next Obama. Right. But as much as I dislike Obama. Uh, I would think Obama is, is much. I would say Obama is a much more intelligent man 
than Hakeem Jeffries. And a much better. Well, the thing is, Hakeem Jeffries among among progressives, because I, I, I and I, this is the way I felt. But people that like know, like know that literally know these people that have worked on campaigns. He's more loathsome than Pelosi, if that's possible. That's that's tough. That's a that's a tough job. That's a that's a tough to be yeah. more loathsome than Pelosi. Well, how far left is he? Is yeah. Well, he's definitely. Well, when you say he's a, see, this is going to be the argument. What is the left of Pelosi? What is the left of Pelosi? I mean, what is no. what is left? What is left anymore? What is liberal anymore? As, as, as we've said on this show, and, and Daniel has said so many times, correct? No, I mean, I mean, I mean, now, you know, I mean the like, people like Brianna Joy Gray who worked for Sanders. People that you know are you know whatever they are. I'm further left than her, but I just mean. You know, folks that are honest to goodness progressive that, that don't like Obama who see right through him. In other words, not 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 phony lefty, but you know, true progressive that are out there. Uh yeah, so the real deal folks that I respect still, <laughs> the few that are left. Ah, uh, you know, yeah, even they say. And again, and they, they kinda know these people a little bit, have met them, yeah. or they they or they, they hang out with people uh a lot that are other journalists that know them. You know, they're only one step away from these folks. So they have a much better sense of their character and their yeah, behind the scenes. You know, I, I've never and, liked and they're saying that Hakeem Jeffries is just the worst of the worst. Makes Pelosi look like a saint. What? <laughs> well, he comes across as kind of smarmy to me. He comes across as smarmy, you know, not very smarmy. And uh, you know, uh, and once again, you have to think about why he's there. And when you look at the Democratic Party, you figure a big reason why he's there is because of his race, right? He's a young black guy, and once again, they they get they get chills. They get like shades of Obama. From him, at least, at least the Democrats oh, yeah. do. They're like, oh, the next Obama. They're always saying the next, which is, by the way, I don't. When you see, when you hear Democrats saying that, there's nothing more racist than that. I don't think. Oh, here's another young black guy, Obama. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, I know, it's I know, like I know. if I see a young white guy, do I say Reagan? No, you know, but <laughs> or a white actor, Reagan, Reagan. No, it's, it's so it's so racist and and just uh, simplistic, simple minded. They are all all young black politicians are next Obama. You know, and of course it's racist. Whoop, what happened? What happened? That was just my me plugging in my. I'm sorry, I should have muted him. Uh, a charger. Sorry. Oh, I thought I was getting gonged. I know, right? <laughs> Mike, you've talked long enough. Oh, remember that, Dave Barris? Yeah, yeah that was a funny gone. show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we'll see what happens here. You know, it's just in the fact, I was the trying to school years. some folks. This is funny. I'm I'm giving. I, I'm so down on the. It's, I can talk to folks that are pretty far right conservatives, and I can be talking to them for a half hour before they realize I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a lefty socialist per se, but yeah, you know, I'm, issues, yeah, 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 okay, fine, I am, I'll, 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 I'll go there, but and but is that because it's like the liberals are so much more racist as far as the liberal elite, they're now their base, which is the liberal elite, suburban white folks, they are so much more racist to their bones than people, than many, many people on the right. And that does not mean that there aren't a lot of real asshole right wing. In other words, here's what I mean. It's not just like Trumpy asshole race, like, like hardcore races that there are on the right. Okay, fine. But even the softcore races, I know a lot of them. They're my friend, but they can never be my close friend. And you take all of them. Okay. Uh, uh, those people I'm talking about that second layer, there's in, in many ways less racist than liberals. Can I tell you in 30 seconds why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Liberals 
and I was first generation suburbanite. And everybody's parents came from the city of Philly or New York or Brooklyn or wherever. And there were plenty of races, don't get me wrong. But they at least understood. They at least lived near. They didn't all move. Sometimes it was because of redlining and economic reasons. Sometimes they just had more money and they were more successful and they wanted more space. It didn't have to be white flight against racism. But whatever. What I'm saying is by the time you're second and third generation suburbanites, you don't even have, whether you're racist or whether you're nice, you, you, you haven't even had contact with people of color or poor people or whatever, like, like, like the original suburbanites did when they had originally moved there. Okay, so now, they're so separated from it, all they do is work in cubicles with other white-collar people, so the liberals only contact for a lot, in a lot of cases, with exceptions, with people that are of the lower echelon, of the lower quintile, the zero to twenty quintile, are the people that cut their lawn or are cleaning the offices that they work in or doing some chores at their house or being their maid. Whereas the small businessman, as opposed to the non-cubicle, because why? Because you don't live in a big city. You don't have a, you can't do a chain or, you know, you want to be a successful businessman. So you have your own restaurant. There's not a lot of corporate offices to work at in Des Moines or in a lot of smaller, let's say rural towns. So a lot of conservative Republican types, they have small businesses and guess what? They're act, they're capitalists and and if the black guy or the Hispanic guy is the if the Hispanic guy is the best cook, which happens a lot by the way in that industry, or if the black or Hispanic guy is the best construction guy that can make you the most money building houses, that's going to be your guy, and you're going to pay him the most because he makes you the most money. So you're going to cut through the racism. You don't care about the white guy because he's white. In some cases, yeah, you might be just because you're a pure racist. But if you're more of a pure capitalist than a pure racist, you're going to work with the people that are your best crew or your best people, no matter their color. <laughs> If you're, you know, and that tends to be the small businessman conservative as opposed to liberals who only work, don't have to deal with in any real way of employee other than cleaning their toilets uh, on the left. So there's, so they don't even get it as much. And that's why they're in some ways more racist because they're more ignorant about it. than. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lance, thank you for what I want to do is a gator must have uh, gators your earring. Because I had uh, I had spoken about you, and I I was saying that um, the way, what we've seen in, in 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 we almost had a fight. If you might have seen this, it was almost a fight tonight in Congress on the 14th vote when I think it was like he was very close. McCarthy was very close to winning, and Matt Gates said so, you know vote against him, and that someone wanted to another another congressman wanted to go after Matt Gates and strangle him. And they, they, they blocked him from going after him. And I said, and this yelling back and forth and threatening, and I, I said, we've seen this in other parliaments. We've seen this, like we've seen videos from like places like China, right? Where they like throw tables at each other and thing. And we've seen it in a, a slightly more civil way in, uh, in the UK parliament, right? Where they actually scream at each other. They actually yell at each other, you know, um, they'll throw barbs at each other, which is something we don't usually see here in Congress. And we saw more of that now at least the last couple of days with the Speaker of the House negotiations. And I was saying it's a shock to people here, but in so many other parliaments, they don't have this this ridiculous, um, uh, you know, like a, decorum that we have in this country, especially we have it in the Senate, even more than the House, where you can't call out someone else. You know, you can't raise your voice. And uh, I think it's kind of silly, especially when you're talking about such high stakes you know, when we talk about some high stakes bills and some some real high stakes for the American people, and of course, very high stakes when you're talking about Speaker of the House. But uh, Gator, I think the the UK Parliament has been 
they've been much, much, much more combative in general than the United States Congress. Um, there's, a, there's a comedian, Frankie Boyle, who basically points out that uh, the reason why uh, British politicians are constantly um, shouting bullshit at each other and screaming is to hide, is to cover up the screams of the captured children who are all holed up in um, the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but but you know, but actually, I used to watch. I used to watch that. I used to. I used to watch. Don't they have? Um, is that is that in the UK? Do they do the Prime Minister every week. Where they do the questions. Yeah, the they prime... do PM questions. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those got very snarky. I used to see. I used to love watching it. And I, I remember who who was really good at it, like Tony Blair. You know, they get very snarky and they'd yell and they'd scream. And I'm thinking, oh my god, here's the Prime Minister who every week has to face questions, has to stand there and with, with you know, with the cut, with the, with the parliament around him in a circle well, on both sides. Right. He's in the middle and, and they have to, he has to take questions from them and actually has to be, a lot of them are very combative. In other words, there's not this respect thing that we have here. Oh, you must have respect for the leader, respect for the president. I mean, God forbid we should imagine, imagine someone like Biden. I think Trump could have handled it. Trump would have liked it. He would have thrown, you know, he would have gotten right into the, the mix. But imagine Biden having to face that every week, having to stand there on the floor and face real questions from yeah. I mean, Congress. I mean, Biden, Biden's lack of mental faculty would um, would 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 would, uh, would would come up straight away. But um, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess at least at least some verbal sparring in our in our parliament is uh, is sort of entertaining. It's the problem is though, there's no there's, there's very little. Um, quality or, or or checking of responses right so so in the moment basically it's just it's just it's just a shit slinging match really um it, there's a possibility after the fact that um you know somebody uh, somebody uh, a prime minister talking absolute codswell it could be fact checked you know and and proven i mean i mean if you i mean although having said that if you look into just boris johnson and you just type into the internet um, Boris Johnson lies. You'll find years worth of <laughs> proven, category, you know, catalogued Boris Johnson lies, going right back to his days as pre-ministerially, right? And he used to get paid about a quarter of a million quid for running for for writing a weekly opinion column in the Telegraph. And his boss at the time, I can't remember his name now, is on record saying. The last thing Boris Johnson should be is a, a politician with any level of responsibility. Not only is he completely untrustworthy, he's also a pathological liar. And mm-hmm. the man has no principles whatsoever, I think is pretty much a reasonable summation of what this guy said. Like, despite that being public knowledge, you know, he was allowed into the system, given managerial jobs, and made prime minister without a vote, and it was only once subjected to public election as as, as a leader, um, and he still and, and the British public public still actually voted him in to, as, as prime minister despite all of this. That's how you've got to you've got to you've got to raise questions about the uh, the, the sanity of the British public, really. But anyway, well, and uh, you know, it's that's true, Boris Johnson. But you know, I think that. You know, in general, I think it's good to have that kind of. I don't like this decorum when it comes to, to not only between between Congress people, between senators. I don't like the whole idea of we can't directly challenge the leader. We can't directly challenge 
the president, you know, and do you remember it was I, I don't know which state of the union it was, but it was. Do you remember the one Barack Obama gave and that Republican yelled out, you lie? Do you remember that one? Mm. Yeah. So the state of the union, I forgot what year it was, it was one of Obama's years. And he was giving a state of the union and the usual decorum in the state of the union is the president talks for eight, eight, 18 hours and no one can say anything. Right. <laughs> so so uh, and he was talking and he said something. Um, and one of the Republican congressmen yelled out, you lie. And <laughs> Pelosi went nuts. You know, she's banging. The, she stands up. She's looking like she wants to strangle the guy. And after it was all over, she said, unacceptable. He should be thrown out of Congress. It's so ridiculous. You know, it's like mm. that kind of thing happens all the time in other parliaments when the leader is speaking. And here, oh, my goodness, what a scandal it was. This guy, how dare he yelled, you lie at the president and, of course, the black president. Um, and this was, of course, a white Republican congressman um, during a State of the Union address. Now, I don't think it should be, you know, I, I don't think it should be like an hour of people just screaming at him every time he says something. But they'll boo sometimes. But they, the thing is, they don't even really boo. They applaud. Right. And that's the stupid thing about the State of the Union. You'll see like one half applauding and the other half just sitting there not doing anything. So that, that's that's them showing how they don't agree with what the, what the president said. They'll just sit there and not do anything. This guy happened to yell out, you lie. And of course, it's the biggest scandal of the century, because people here don't realize that there are other places where you're allowed to have much more debate and you're allowed to have much more debate with the leader. You know, and in this country, it's like, no, the leader's above debate. Right. Basically, that's what it is. The leader is above debate. And well, here you can have, not, you can have I'm a, not even sure it's about leadership, Mike. Right. You're, you're literally looking at the maintenance of um, a, a very thin uh, veneer, right? If you can't allow scrutiny of an empire that is provably corrupt. I mean, for example, just right now, the, the American immigration rules have been abandoned, apparently, because Prince Harry is being allowed to keep his US citizenship despite admitting to taking cocaine, which is apparently disqualifying um, a criterion for US citizenship. Yeah. Right? Why? I mean, if that, if, why, 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 why would you break that rule? He's, he's, he's done a hard, uh, he's crossed a hard line and, he, and, and, and um, you should remove, strip him of his, of his citizenship. Yeah. He's not an asylum seeker. Right? He's not hard up, is he? But he's broken one of your rules, but he doesn't apply. And if you if you look at Jean-Pierre Corinne or um, any of the White House Spocks, what's that? That's outsourcing the work of the of the figurehead leader mm -hmm. to somebody who ha who is basically paid specifically to bullshit and lie openly. What yeah. is that? It's the outsourcing of lies, okay, to to mm -hmm. somebody who you can cut cut and cut loose at any point when they stop being a good enough liar. I mean, Jean-Pierre Corrine is so bad at lying that I mean, she yeah. literally now just says, I'm not answering stuff, right? I mean, at least uh, Saki well, was a wrote, remarkable, he... remarkable liar. She's oh, a remarkable great liar. liar. Oh, one of the best liars I've ever seen. But also, the fact is with Corrine Jean-Pierre is at first, at least, she was looking into a book of lies, right? She would look into a book <laughs> and come up with a lie. You know, so it's like, you know, uh, Jen Psaki didn't have to look in the book. She had them memorized. But Corinne Jean-Pierre had to look into her book of lies. Um, and uh, and now you're right. Now she doesn't even bother with her. Well, she was getting so much criticism from having a book of lies and having to look into a book. that now she just says pretty much, I'm not doing this. 
right? But, you know, I, I've heard many people on both sides of the aisle say those 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 press briefings. In fact, Trump suspended them. They didn't have any. And I remember someone who was it? Lawrence O'Donnell, who despises Trump, but said there's no reason to have them. They're just it's just it's just lying. It's lying. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's just spin. It's an hour of spin. No matter if you're a Republican office or a Democrat in office, it's spin, and there's no reason. It's, it's, in other words, it's an hour of all of, our, all of us fooling each other, all of them fooling well, each other. Yeah, and, and all, but also there's no, reason, it's, and it's, there's no reason for it. There's no reason to have it. But it's also rigged both ways because the, poli- the, the journalists in there are hand-selected. They're, they're basically understand the rules of the game, and they know what's on and off um, off topic right and and they know that if they cross if they if they commit an infringement they won't be going back to to the next presser right so you can't so they're all under the cosh anyway and um so so even even then it it isn't just about the figurehead or the spokesperson it's about it's a it's a collusion of both sides right and that's why you never see any significant challenging questions um, anyway, I mean, I don't, I don't watch it anymore, or, or I pay little attention now because it's just a, a load of horseshit, and that's you know, nobody does a back test either. The mainstream press don't really do back tests and say, well, this was said and then it ended up being bullshit. If you just did a list of that, you would end up with pages of of, of back tested lies every day. But you know, yeah, and remember, that's it's, it's, just, it's not about whole... truth at all. Right. And the whole preparation, and I've, I've seen the, you know, sometimes they've shown the behind the scenes of the preparation for the press secretary to go out there and they have a meeting every morning before it happens. And the preparation is basically these are the answers you give to these questions, right? That's basically what it is. These are the yeah. answers that we're approving to give to these questions. It doesn't matter if there's any truth to them, if there's any real information. It's just, once again, it's all this, the White House, it's the White House spin machine, basically. It's an hour of the White House spin machine. And and there's no reason really to have it. I mean, it's a, it's just it's just theater. It's theater, and we're all pretending. We have to all pretend that something real is happening, right? We have to all pretend <laughs> that the real problem. But that's the real problem with this country. Now that I talk through this with you, there is no. And I think about it. There's no time in this country during a term of a president where they ha- he has to actually take questions from Congress. I think that's actually a I mean, great idea. Why? Why doesn't why does the con- so in this country basically it's Congress or the Senate criticizing the president and the president answers through the media right the president then hears yeah. about it, answers through the media why why do we have that, that conduit of the legacy media of the fifth why don't why why can't the president like in other countries like your country simply it, whether it's once a week or once a month or whatever stand there and face Congress and take questions. Well, I would, I would, my temptation is to answer by saying because the president isn't in control, right? But that's not entirely true. It depends upon the quality of the, um, the president as, as, as just an on the floor speaker, right? And because I would argue that, um, you know, if, if prime minister's question times in the UK sort of is, suggests a, a truer test of your politician, I still find that a completely dissatisfactory process. I know that both sides of the house are just engaging in theatrical lies where they're asking very specifically loaded, rigged questions anyway, that give mainly the, the, the prime minister the ability to answer in a, in a, in a, in a way that is non-committal. So it, it ticks certain boxes, but it actually is, is nothing but managed theater, right? And I would argue that that's the same. I mean, Obama 
was an incredibly capable public speaker who could convince people mm-hmm. um, of his competence, right? And and he had a cadence that worked as well. And he was very deliberate at how he addressed yeah. things so that idiots in the common in, in common idiots would kind of potentially believe that that somehow he was there for them, particularly in the early days of his campaigning and presidency, right? But that doesn't mean to say that he was any different as a president in terms of control or true motive than any other president. You know, he's Obama was probably the worst in a way because he would he he ran on a campaign that was led to believe that led people to believe that things would be better for racial um, on racial grounds. They're not. They're worse and. Um, that somehow there was like a change in the nature of democracy. Well, it did change. It just got worse, right? Right. <laughs> so, well, right. so, he, so he's a worse politician for citizens than than somebody who doesn't hide. You know, hides, doesn't hide, and just goes, <laughs> "I'm doing shit for the rich guy." Well, and look, you can. I, I understand what you're saying about anything. Even the prime minister's questions, there's some, there's some kind of it's, 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 there is some kind of control involved, right? It's not a total free for all, but I think it's better than nothing. Yeah. And I do remember watching it during the Iraq War days with with the, and I remember the questions being pretty challenging. I mean, really putting you know because a lot of those people in the parliament were against the war and against you know uh, him sucking up to the United States so much, mm. Tony Blair. And I do remember some pretty challenging questions. I mean, at least he has. To, at least he had to face the firing squad for a while, you know, well, and he had to take okay, income look, for a while. And I think that was, I, I, once again, I think much better than what we, a much better system than what we have here. Okay, but you're being cha- you're being charitable, right? And the reason why I say that is because if if you if you now take what we know just about Iraq, totally illegal, totally based on lies, Ban Ki Moon, the UN, literally said. This is all lies, and it's so damaging that that you've gone that the U.S. and the U.K. have bilaterally overridden the U.N. That this has permanently damaged faith in the U.N. forever. Right? That's literally what Ban Ki Moon said. Which is essentially the highest international political body condemning those two nations, and and maybe Norway as well was involved something. as, as war criminals, oh, that's as close as you're going to get to the UN saying you're a bunch of war criminals, right? Now, we know that now, right? Now, if you then go back and you think about the theatre that you were watching at PMQ saying, well, they were pretty challenging questions. Even if they were, the reality is that Blair was knowingly, consistently and constantly lying his face off to every one of those questions. And there was literally zero sanction. Now, that means... That no matter how good you think this theatre is, it is meaningless. It's just a different flavour of theatre. Because there's no consequence as a result. Yeah, but let's put it this way. You can't stop someone from lying, right? They're going to give the answer they're going to give. That, that's what I've always said. If you, if you, in giving a good interview, you know, if, if you're a real journalist, you're doing a real interview. You can't tell the person you're interviewing what to say, but you can ask the right questions, right? You can make them go on record and give answers that could be later proven as lies, but you can't make them say tell the truth. You can't make people yeah. tell the truth. You're not giving truth serum, you know, where that would be great if they can give the 
person in truth serum, but that's not the way it worked with them on the lie detector. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But the point is that if you think that PMQs is, is, is A, better than nothing, and B, better than what you've got, it's not. Because the net result is that A, people can lie, and B, there's no way to hold them accountable for that lying anyway. So, th so ultimately, the exercise is meaningless because people can lie with zero accountability and consequence. And I, would that's still, the same... I would still pay. I would still pay to see. Okay. But that's the same it. consequence no, as not being able to ask questions at I, all. I get it. I, I get your point. But I would still pay to see Joe Biden take questions directly. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, would, as, I would as well, actually. And Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and so on and so on. Jim Jordan, I would still pay for that, regardless of I, what I, Biden gives. And remember, I would too, but only because then I might be in arm's reach or, or, or throwing popcorn throwing distance from an old man. And that's that's why I'd pay. <laughs> oh, the Democrats, what are they going to do with all their remaining popcorn? I think they had enough popcorn for the next two weeks. Maybe they, can, maybe they can choke on it. Yeah, them and their fucking popcorn. <laughs> Don't they have dispensers in the sides of the chairs in that in that place? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, once again, I'm glad you came in because I wanted you. I really thought about you tonight when I saw that fight happen, uh, and I thought, ah, okay, that's a little bit closer to what we have seen in the English, the UK Parliament. Even though I know there haven't been any, I don't think, as far as I know, maybe you know, there haven't been any physical fights. In the UK no, not not really that I can recall. There was, but if you want to laugh, go on the web after this. Type in uh, Ukrainian uh, on YouTube. Type in Ukrainian Parliament fight, and I'm sure you'll find at least three or four. It's oh, comedic. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sure of it. I'm. I'm sure. <laughs> We've seen the ones out of China where they throw chairs at each other and they go crazy. Oh no, no, I haven't actually. I should go and look. Maybe maybe, oh, maybe yeah. I should make that yeah. my pastime of just looking up for parliamentary fights across the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're talking about, and that's what, say, look, Gator, when you talk about a spontaneous thing like that, that's real. It's a moment, it's a rare moment of honesty and truth. It's a rare moment of honesty and truth. And I think that's what shocks everyone. It's the, it's the honesty and truth of it all. The lack of script, the lack of script mm -hmm. that really is, is refreshing. And I don't expect to see it again here for a while, but I mean, that is, I think, uh, Pretty, pretty remarkable, pretty remarkable. <laughs> but of course, you know, the left, the legacy media will write it as though the Republicans are nuts and they, they want to, you know, fight each other. They're not together. They're not cohesive. They're not. You know what? You know what, Gator? The Republicans just aren't enough of a cult, not enough of a cult yet. They have to become more cultish. A cult, they don't fight each other. They kill everyone else so, outside the cult, but not themselves. But, OK, remind me, haven't you been a long term Democrat until recently? Yeah. Uh -huh. And now you're, yeah, because I was, I was, I was kind of thinking. I was pretty sure that the, all the, because I was about to say, aren't you a little bit too giving too much credit to the Republicans? But you're, but you're actually, you know, sort of a recent convert, aren't you? Well, I've just given credit to the people who have some kind of independent thought right now, you know, and, and think outside the box, and and that extends from, you know, not being so. Uh, single-minded when it comes to, you know, Trump being, you know, uh, Satan or, or COVID being, you know, the worst disease that we ever have to face. And we need to lock down and shut down and mask and, and, sh and, and stick six jabs in each other's arms. And that kind of nuttiness that we've seen mm. from the Democrats lately, you know, that kind of nuttiness that we have seen from, from Democrats, you know, and it's, okay. just, it's just, and no more, no more. Can we just 
stop with the derangement syndromes being making one person make us totally deranged. I mean, like like Rob Reiner is on Trump and he has to mention Trump. Imagine having to tweet about a guy. Imagine one man tweeting about another man every day, day in, day out, day in, day out. There's something wrong with them. There's something really sick there. It's not just Rob Reiner. It's many, many people on the left. I, th- I think I think you've just alienated a lot of uh, gay households from your leadership, from your listenership. Can you imagine <laughs> two men b- tweeting about each other every day? Yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, look, here's a challenge yeah. for you. Good. Uh, what what uh, you probably don't have to answer on the spot, but it's something to think about. What would be hard lines that and, and, and the, the next? Republican, say the Republicans take the house, take the seat, take the presidency um, in 2024. What would they have to do for you to realize or or or, or say, shit, the, the, the Republicans are just as bad and this is just theater? There's got to be tests you've put, got to put in place, tests that cause you to be able to test literally the quality of your government, right? I think we're going to see over the next. We'll see over the next two years. With the, we'll see over the next, not just the, we'll see over the next six months with these hearings. We'll see what kind of hearings they actually do. We'll see how exactly what they do. And as I think it was Lance had said, that it can't, it, it can't just be as much as I like to see, you know, as much as I like to see them beat the shit out of Fauci. It can't just be this theater of we're going to grandstand like the Democrats have done so much with whether it's. You know, in Trump impeachments on January sixth, where it's just this, this, this theater. It's like it's they. I mean, you know, Democrats have actually gone out and got like Hollywood producers to produce these things. But seriously, the January sixth thing was like really produced behind the scenes by a Hollywood producer. It can't be like that. It can't be this one sided We're going to grandstand and show we are doing something. It can't be that. It's got to be real evidence. Come on, I want to see a fucking. I want to see like. You know the the uh, judgment at Nuremberg. I want to see. Mate. I want to see real trials. I want to see real evidence. I want to see. I want to see Fauci and others have to face the music. Of you will never done. see that. Well, then you I'm going to blame. I, I think I have, we'll have to blame the Republicans. The Republicans are going to be in total control over this. So the Republicans will be in control of how this goes. And I think it has to be more than just sound bites. And as Matt Gates said, that was one of his reservations for McCarthy. And establishment Republicans. You didn't want another Benghazi pro forma soundbite kind of a hearing. You want real hearings where real evidence comes out. And I know yeah, it's not a court of law. There's no guilty, not guilty. There's no going to jail. Not, but there has to be real evidence, and it's got to be fact fact driven stuff. They have plenty of stuff from the Twitter files now to draw from, and they have to put the right people up there and ask the right questions and really get to the bottom of what happened and why it happened. And really expose these people for what they are, and I, I hope they can do that. But th- there's one test: if these are just bullshit hearings, I'll be very disappointed. At the okay, very I, I, I I agree with you in sentiment, but I'm going to play the other. I'm going to counter bet you, right? So, and this is why your 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 system is proven without a shadow of a doubt over the last ten to fifteen years to basically be rotten no matter who's in power, rotten from the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and um, all of the all of the committees which are involved in their oversight, right? And this culminates in one or two moments. So it culminates in when the FBI, Comey, said Hillary Clinton has committed possible crimes with regards to the, her handling of intelligence information. However, we don't think it's sensible for anyone to try to prosecute her. 
right? That's, that's, the, that's one first thing. She committed crimes, according to the FBI, and the FBI said, but don't go after her. Right? Well, that's corruption. I, I, think, I, think, wow. I think what Comey was saying, and you can agree or disagree with him, Comey was saying she did things that were technically not legal, but it would be <laughs> No, but listen, no, listen to this, though. But, you know, with a lot of crimes, you have to commit intent. You can't say – a lot of people can say, I did it by Yeah, yeah, bleach, bleach bit. You, she did that accidentally, didn't she? She right, accidentally right. So wiped Comey the email. said there so. wasn't enough evidence where a real prosecutor would be able to get a conviction. Basically, right? Because there's not enough evidence showing intent to commit a crime as opposed to just being an idiot and not knowing how to deal with the technology, you know. Except so what he did was block, block the analysis of that by trial, right? He didn't even try to take it to trial, right? Where you could have exposed a lot of stuff right, in public. Once again, right? I'm not he literally headed Hillary, it off. I'm, once again, I'm not defending Hillary, defending Hillary Clinton. I wish she had gone to, to jail, a uh, trial, sorry. <laughs> but uh, but um, the fact that's what prosecutors do all the time, Gator. They decide where there's enough evidence to actually take something. You know, a, a prosecutor can believe someone's guilty of something, but if there's not enough evidence where they have a really good shot at getting conviction, they don't bother doing it. I mean, this is to, the, this could be someone who steals jewelry from okay. the store. You know? Okay, I'll, I'll concede. I, I accept that, you, that there's a, there's, that's a rational response, right? Sure. But also now you're looking at the FBI directly in collusion with or, or taking ca a captive control effectively of Twitter for reasons which are basically nefarious, right? It's absolutely no way should that be occurring, but that's, that, this, is an this is an evolution of the FBI's COINTEL Pro program, which is essentially where you go out and you penetrate society and you manipulate society for two reasons. You're monitoring the state of society, spying on it, and then you're basically influencing it. And then you're, and then you're pulling up people that you don't like, which is go straight back to J. Edgar Hoover's um, safe full of blackmail material, isn't it? Right. So if your FBI is rotten, right, and then you've got the CIA doing stuff that, like you mentioned the church committee, that was not, as somebody pointed out in the comments, that wasn't just about spying that was about mk ultra assassination and everything else in between right and it was the cia came up smelling of shit right yes. <laughs> that's when they were showing yeah we've got we've got guns that can fire ice ice spikes into people and then basically can uh, put enough poison into them and then the ice melts that uh, you can't really tell that they were shot right that's the kind of shit they get up to and that was in 1978 so or 68 wasn't it i think um, right, so you've got all of this going on, and you're kind of going. So, are we going to get Nuremberg too for the biggest corporate corporatocratic scam on the face of the planet, which has involved the which would which if you found anyone guilty under any of the conditions that you and I would hope to have, you can't have that, right? Because the liability scale is half the globe. You're going to have half the globe going after Moderna. Pfizer and every single figurehead who's ever involved in chain. The system will never allow that. The, the, the rich don't eat themselves and they, and that's why the rich are allowed to investigate themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen is a big slice of fuck all pie is going to be pushed into your face, right? <laughs> and you're going to chow down hard. I've mate. never chowed and that's fuck it. all Gator, never, <laughs> you I will. You I, will. I, I, don't, I don't eat fuck all pie. I really don't. I don't like it. <laughs> he will. It has a. That's my. Uh, that's my countervailing bet. It has a chalky aftertaste. I don't like fuck all. <laughs> you got a better. You got a better slice than I did. Mine's mine. Mine smelt of uh, poo. Fuck all, but. Well, you know the fact.
that's the great thing about the UK is that you say things like that. If I'm in Parliament, I could yell at, at the Boris Johnson and say, "Stop! We're not going to eat another slice of your fuck all pie." I could say that. I could say that in the UK. In fact, I, someone should use that. That'd be great. But uh, I could say that there and not be called like a lunatic. Like you're called a lunatic here if you happen to blurt out your lie to the president when he's lying. You know, so, so it's it's uh, listen, it's still better. I know going back to the whole difference in part. I know you live there and you think it's a crock of shit, too. But um, it's, I, I still think it's better in a lot of ways than we. Well, also, what's also better is that you can it's, it's easier. I think we've talked about this in the past. It's easier to get rid of the prime minister there than it is to get rid well, of the president. here. Actually, uh, you, I didn't say this yesterday, but but although I don't really know the detail of it. It's actually possible for the British public via the politicians to instigate a vote of no confidence in the entire government and technically trigger a general election out of sequence. But the British public are too stupid to actually do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know how to. And the gateway, the control gateway is actually the MPs who, who, who basically wouldn't do it. So um, it's possible for us to do that as well, not just the, not just the prime minister. But we don't do it. And, and, and basically, this is this kind of comes down to my argument, whether it's the UK and us revolting in some way, and that would be one example of it, or the US revolting with guns because you've got the Second Amendment. Neither one of those things is ever going to happen. Right? No matter what fantasists tell you about the ability for the people to rise up, it won't. Because if it was going to happen, it would have happened sometime within the last three years. Because let's face it, we've never had such far-reaching nonsense conditions where enough people with enough guns in America know that this is bullshit, but they haven't stood up and done anything about it because the methods of control that surround people are so embedded and they're mainly financial, right? they're mainly debt-orientated, right? that, that essentially that's nullified anybody's ability to actually fight. You'll never get an uprising because people are too worried about their mortgage and their credit card bills and them being first in line for the takedown. Nobody's going to fucking do it. So we just live in a fantasy world where Second Amendment rights exist for an idea, but they will never be used for the for the so-called um, fight against the tyranny of your own government. Well, and we don't even have guns in the UK, so we're fucked anyway. Yeah, we don't have guns there, do they? We don't have guns there. You know, you're no. not allowed to have a gun there. No, you might be able to get a shotgun if you're a good boy, but uh, you know, there's only two rounds in that, and you get yeah. tased in between each one of them. <laughs> exactly. Gator, thanks for the call as always. Take it easy, man. Thanks, I appreciate it. All right, uh, I do want to read one thing here, and this is that I mentioned earlier that one of the uh, concessions is there's going to be a church committee. Um, and people are wondering, what the hell is the church committee? Well, what happened is the church committee goes back to 1975, and it was formerly the United States Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence agencies. And it was a U.S. Senate Select Committee in 75 that investigated abuses by the CIA, the NSA, and the FBI, and the IRS. Something's never changed, huh? Chaired by an Idaho senator named, a guy named Frank Church, a Democrat. The committee was part of a series of investigations into intelligence abuses. Remember, this is what Democrats used to do, um, abuses in 1975, dubbed the Year of Intelligence, including its House counterpart, the Pike Committee, and the Presidential Rockefeller Commission. The committee's efforts led to the establishment of the permanent U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. 
The Moshatan revelations of the committee include Operation McUltra, MK-Ultra, involving the drugging and torture of unwitting U.S. citizens as part of a human experimentation of mind control. I do remember hearing a lot about this. Cointelpro involving the surveillance and infiltration of American political and civil rights organizations. We saw a lot in the 60s with Watts Hoover uh, and uh, you know, MLK and, uh, and Malcolm X. Family Jewels, the CIA program to covertly assassinate foreign leaders. Operation Mockingbird as a systematic propaganda campaign with domestic and foreign journalists operating as CIA assets and dozens of U.S. news organizations providing cover of CIA activity. It also unearthed Project Shamrock, in which the major telecommunications companies share their traffic with the NSA while officially confirming the existence of this signals intelligence agency to the public for the first time. So this is what they're bringing back again. They're calling it like the church committee again, and they're going to investigate the you know, the spying uh, of the on American citizens by our government, by the CIA, by the FBI, by the NSA, so on and so forth. And a lot of this, of course, has come out lately with the Twitter files. This is a big one. This is one of the top reasons why I am hoping the Republicans <laughs> follow through. And it looks like they are. It looks like they will, you know, and uh, this is so important. This could be the most important, right? This could be the most important because it's also this, this is such a big umbrella of this, just like there was back in 75. This is a big umbrella here now. We're talking about the, the, the spying of American citizens talking about Hunter Biden, the spying of American citizens talking about COVID regulations and mandates and vaccines and vaccine efficacy and safety and so on and so forth. Right. And so that is going to be that's huge. That's huge. And it's even bigger now in a way, because now we have something called social media and Twitter, which we didn't have in 1975 which is supposed to be a public forum, but has basically become a forum for which the government can spy on us even easier, right? And know what we're saying. I mean, they didn't know what Mike could try, that they give you shit, but let's just say the CDC didn't like what I was saying on Twitter. Just like, you know, Adam Schiff didn't like what certain journalists were saying and wanted them canceled. And the CDC was like, get this guy off, right? Get this guy out of here. We don't want him out of here. Well, you know, before social media and Twitter, these agencies wouldn't know what I was saying. It would be much more difficult for them to know what I might have been, what I might be saying in a public square or private meetings. Let's say private meetings. Um, but now, with with social media and this public square, it's so much easier to find out the the thoughts of the citizens and what the citizens are thinking and doing and organizing how they're organizing. Right. So this is very dangerous, and I'm glad this church committee is part of this. And once again. This is all part of the negotiation process that took place this week. So this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. And hopefully, you know, I know Gators thinks it's going to be what a shit pie. But we'll see. We'll see. At the very least, it'll give us something to talk about on this show, right? At the very least, it'll be, it'll be something to discuss and ponder over on this show and hopefully a lot more than just a lot more than than just that um oh, oh daniel hey daniel what's going on how's your how's your night yeah, i don't know what about this shit pie thing i'm i'm, I'm eating cake oh and you eat chocolate cake you know what that looks like right it looks like fudge which i love <laughs> Chocolate, chocolate pie too. You know that's yeah. that's that's um, that's okay in a pinch. 
Yes, fuck all. Sorry, fuck all pie, not shit pie. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've never had fuck all pie or fuck all cake. <laughs> fuck all cake. Um, I wonder if that comes in triple layer. Um, are, are, are you yeah. excited about Kevin McCarthy? Are you excited about new McCarthyism? <laughs> McCarthyism. Um, <laughs> you know, I, um, I don't know if I'm excited or not. Um, I don't didn't feel like I really had a dog in the fight as to as to, to um, who became speaker. My my dog was basically just the Constitution, and it looks like the Constitution had its day, and that's that's so that's good. Um, so you know that's that's is kind of as deeply as I've been been following that um, in, in the uh, the theater of the last week. Um, what I don't understand. I, 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 Maybe when Gator comes back on next time, is um, it seems like he was trying to get you to um, admit, I'll use the word admit, that the Republicans um, are no better than the Democrats. Let's say you admitted that. What next? I don't. I, don't, I, I, people, I see people doing this a lot in political discussions, and they always want to say, oh, the Republicans are no better than the Democrats or the Tories are no better than the labor or, or whatever. And so it, it's like, okay, so what, you know, let's, 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 let's assume they're all evil. Let's assume they're all good. Let's assume they're like most people. They have capacity for good and evil. Okay. What next? I mean, yeah, what, what, I what, what's the, what's the, the, um, your news uh, tagline that you're, you're using now? Your influence counts. Use it. There you go. Yeah. So we said you don't have to associate with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Tories, Labor, whatever. You, you don't have to pledge any fealty to these people. You've got influence. Use it. Yes. And when I when I say that, what it really means is that you have influence. Use it. It, it means what it says, but I say basically, which is that people have more power than they think. And you exactly. know, and, and and if they just apply that power, if they use that power. You could be surprised what you can look just like these 20, 25 holdouts. Yeah, they had their own thoughts and ideas about McCarthy, but a lot of it was promises they made to their constituents when they were elected or reelected that they were going to hold this guy's feet to the fire and get certain things done that usually don't get done. And so they did that. And that's the influence of the people. That's the influence of the voters, the people influencing the congressmen. And then this happens. So you do have influence that it goes beyond just a vote. It goes beyond just every couple of years at the voting booth. You really have, and we have more influence now than ever with podcasts and social media. We truly have real influence, and uh, you know, I think that that people should apply it more and not just think, "Oh well, there's nothing we can do." Right? We hear that a lot, right? Oh, oh yeah. well, there's nothing, nothing we can do, nothing. We yeah, can and do. I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that either one of us, when it comes to data, are, are, are representing correctly. I'm not sure that he's saying that there's nothing that we can do, but, um, but I am hearing him. Um, no, no, no. It's just, he's, well, he's just wondering what will happen when the Republicans disappoint me. He just thinks they probably will, and yes. they might, right? So they, 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 they very well might. So yeah, they might disappoint you. So what's going to happen? You'll be disappointed. It does, doesn't mean you're going to crawl inside a shell and die. Doesn't mean you're going to stop using your influence. Um, no. So I'm not sure exactly why where that discussion was going. And so you know, if if Gator maybe sometimes well, people, people wonder, will I go back? People wonder, will I go back to Democrats again? 
you know, yeah. the Republicans fuck fuck up. All this look, I put I put a lot of energy into this Republican Party and and getting these hearings done. And if they disappoint me on that grand level, do I go back to the Democrats? Well, I think you and I have both been on the same page here. I'm not voting for Democrats again. COVID yeah. was the the COVID stuff was so big, so egregious. It killed and hurt so many people that I cannot go back to voting for Democrats. Even if the Republicans disappoint me. I don't think I don't think that the Republicans disappointing me when it comes to legislation. about legislation. They can't get much passed. The Democrats have the House, have the Senate and the White House. But as far as these these hearings go, if, they, if they're if it's a little bit disappointing and underwhelming, that is not anywhere near the error the Democrats and progressives and the leftists have made over the last three years when it comes to covid and how many people are harmed and killed. That would, would, not, would not compare. The crime, crime of, of the biggest crime of history is 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 what has taken place in the last three years, and there are so many criminals that can be named in it. Um, when it comes to, to, to all the, the um, ruckus that we've had over the last week, um, um, I just I just want to to say this, um, and, and on, on a personal level, any friendship that you have that encourages independent thought and you know, doesn't fall apart and disintegrate under under strong disagreements. You know, th- those those friendships are gold, and that goes that goes in politics too. So, if you have a party that engages in um, lots of back and forth, and maybe things get heated, but you know, it's it's all about trying to encourage independent thought, and um, and and that party can tolerate strong disagreement. Well, that party is pretty damn strong, and they're robust, um, and so. The Republican Party, um, they did a pretty good job of, of showing their robustness this week. Um, parties that um, stick together as the Democrats have been for the last three, four, five years and um, and march in lockstep, those aren't robust parties. Those are brittle parties. Those are parties that um, when, when you take one of them down, you take them all down. And uh, and, and that's, that's, that's not a good thing. Um, like I say, there's reciprocity everywhere in the universe. And in this case, you have to, to balance this um, brittleness of unanimity against the robust, robustness that's inherent um, to uh, disagreement or parties that can survive disagreement. I, I agree. And I, once again, as far as the Republicans go, this past week, um, it's made me it's it's made me have more more hope not less hope right maybe, maybe that's gonna maybe it's gonna hurt more now when i get let down if i get loud but this past week i think was a good week i think yeah. it was a good week i think it was a good week for for democracy for the constitution i think it'll be a good week uh in the long run over the next two years for the republican party and uh i'm i'm, I'm excited to see where these hearings go yeah and um just one last thing, uh, on, on sort of in that same vein that I was striking earlier, was um, was with respect to, to friendships and, and choosing well. Um, all of us probably that, that are listening to this show have had friends that we have lost over the three years, last three years, because of what's been going on in the world. Um, so much of it centered around COVID and the tyranny that, that surrounds that uh, response to it. Um, and... And 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 if you look back over the last few years and the friends that you've made, I'll bet you found some of these friends that encourage independent thought, and and um, and they uh, entertain strong disagreement. So you know, um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for um, having made new friends that um, do exactly that, and I have let the others go entirely. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what you have to do. I think I think I've come to terms with that also. I think a lot of people have come to terms with that, you know, of, of people who have lost friends because of uh, basically simply because of COVID, because of either the masks or vaccines or, or something else. You know? And they just and they just couldn't tolerate disagreement with the No, no, not at all. Not at all. They got it such into their heads, and I'll get to Xander in one second. They got it into such into their heads that it was absolute truth, 100% lead pipes in truth, that if you didn't believe in masking or getting vaccines, you were killing people. So they got it into their heads. This is what happened with these woke leftists. They got into their heads that you are a bad person and they can disassociate themselves from you. That's yeah. what they, that, was their, that was their thought process. It was some a, a matter of religious tenet to, to, to them um, to accept what the government was telling them, um, whether it's the CDC or whether it was the president or whether it was a, it was a particular governor. Um, yeah, it just became it was it was it was you call it a cult. We, we, it's that's a word that's used very frequently. Um, <laughs> re- religious. I mean, you can describe you know, it's all it's you know it's all that sort of thoughtless behavior that is more tribal than it is rational and um and you know it serves its purpose in our evolution as a species to to at sometimes um behave and as a social unit rather than as um rather than entertaining all sides of any particular rational argument because sometimes there's Decisions that need to be made really, really quickly, and especially in, um, throughout our evolution, that's been the case. Um, even you know, on day to day basis, I mean, many thousands of years ago, that's the way we, the humans um, needed to roll. Um, but um, yeah, we just we we, we got to be cognizant of that. We just got to be cognizant of the fact that um, that we 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 all. It's your commonality, commonality, commonality in, in our biology, which dictates a lot of commonality in what we want out of life. Um, I think we all need to, to embrace that and and realize that we can work with one another to get what we want. But we have to we, we can't censor. We can't um, oppress people's voices. We can't do what has been occurring these last three years for, for these Machiavellian political purposes. They ultimately come back and take, do so much, so such egregious harm on our society and, and hurt us all. And they hurt those in political power. They hurt the rich. They hurt the poor. They hurt everybody when our society um, suffers such insults. Absolutely. That's well said, Daniel. Yeah. Well said. Daniel, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You're welcome. As always, thank you. Okay, let's go to Xander. Hey, Xander, you're on Let's Be Heard. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Um, how was your uh, Christmas, New Year's? Hopefully, I, I hope you had a nice one. Say again, a New Year's? Uh, I hope you had a nice New Year's and Christmas. Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. It was uh, low-key, low-key, but it was fun. Lucky, perfect, excellent. Um, I, I I think I would almost, quite frankly, if anything, as I was listening to Daniel, the previous caller, I would just, if anything, want to reiterate everything Daniel said. He, uh, I don't know what his current career is, but if he ever had a aspiration as being a, um, a, uh, a college professor, he could perfect that sector. 
You're very close. You're very close. But he's a he works um, at Berkeley, but he's a scientist. He doesn't teach. Oh, he doesn't oh teach. Okay. He doesn't, yeah, he's okay. research. So he does. He's he's research at Berkeley. He's a scientist. Yeah, he's got two medical. Daniel's got two medical degrees. Oh, I, well, the way he speaks, you can tell he gets from A to B in a very scientific way. Yeah, yeah. He's our science commentator. He he corrects everyone's bad science. <laughs> On the show. Well, when you present bad science, he will correct I, you. I, I, I would be the first person in line for that. Yeah, a- a- MD and PhD physics, he wrote. In the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, Love it. it. Yeah. Um, hats off to you, Daniel. Um, you know, and, and, and building off of what Daniel was saying was kind of who, you know, are people that had, I, I, I kind of have to interject here of this notion of, uh, even the concept of I lost friends over COVID, I guess in theory, in this sense that we are, you, my Daniel, were talking about it. Yes, I, I guess I lost friends over COVID. That that would be factually true. But like, I don't really think I did in the sense that it's like, oh, I'm still alive. I, I actually, you know, and I'm very grateful. I never caught COVID. I never thought it was fake. I, I thought it was actually more just take basic precautions, however you see fit. You know, mm-hmm. that's wearing a mask and so on and so forth. Um, but the, this idea in the sense of like, oh, my God, there were there was a human race before 2020. Yes, there was. Y- you know what I mean, Mike? Like, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's almost insane. I know. I know. There, there are some um, people. Who do, there are some people who don't remember life before March of 2020. They don't. They don't. They don't remember. They can't recollect life before that. Or, or there's this uh, unwillingness to return to that. And uh, even uh, even people who were once on the side of the COVID craziness, like um, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins very much is probably as left as you can get. Uh, left Democrat, even now he has said that's the, he learned. I mean, he, he did his own research. He, he looked at things that were happening. He realized things didn't make sense that Fauci was saying. They didn't add up to the official narrative. And uh, he now realizes that he was wrong on a lot of things. And he said some people, they just can't seem to break this religion they've developed. He's right. It's, it's, a, it's a religion. It, it, it's absolutely a religion. Yeah. And Secondarily, um, Attorney General Barr under Trump was absolutely right. He said this about a week into COVID. It was it was about mid March where he sent out a. I'm probably going to be you know technically getting this a little bit wrong, but he sent out basically a men uh, a a fax a a like a memorandum Mm -hmm. to all the uh, uh, attorney generals of all 50 states saying we might be in a uh, pandemic, but uh, just to remind you, attorney generals, uh, reread your pocket constitutions because there is no, uh, maybe 
fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you come down on this, right? Like, maybe maybe there should be a pandemic amendment. I don't <laughs> think there should be. Yeah. But it does not exist. And I'm just here to remind you, reread your pocket constitution and abide by the constitution. And to me, that's the part where I I I I stepped off the Trump train and I never got off it in the sense like oh man you <laughs> you you took the less bait the easy bait and then you took it down like candy. I I don't know. Do, do you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 really just Look, the overwhelming majority of people in this, probably the world, but certainly our country, didn't do any of their own research. They didn't do a second of their own research. They didn't They didn't look into anything. And I, I just remember the early days of COVID. I was reading 10 to 15 articles a day on everything from, from independent media to the legacy media. I was reading 10 to 15 articles a day about 10 to 15? That, I was reading like 30 a day because yeah, guess what? I, I had nothing else to do. <laughs> right, right. But then I see things and I go, what this? you know, the, what do they call it? The smell test? I, I look at things and I'd say, Jesus, that doesn't, that doesn't pass the smell test. It just doesn't. So let me just look at this. Let me go investigate it more. Let me see what other people are talking about. And as it turned out, it didn't pass the smell test because it was bullshit, <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, and most people didn't do that. Most people just took what they read and said, oh, these are the experts writing, even though it's like a 18 year old intern or journalist writing the fucking article. And, that you know, it's like, oh, they know what they're talking about. I'm going to follow what they say. These are the experts. Fauci's the expert. Redfield, Zelensky, well, Zelensky, Walensky, <laughs> Walensky. And hey, the left follows everything Walensky and Zelensky says. Uh, doesn't matter. There's no, there's no critical thinking on either of them. But uh, and, and, and that, that's it. And they have not changed oh, for three years. They have not changed. And they'll still believe everything that they were told. And they'll believe everything they're told from this point on. And that's just, you know, it's it's um, it takes there are two things. It takes some kind of effort to have critical thinking. And also people, especially people on the left, have been brainwashed into believing if they do critical thinking, they're conspiracy theorists. That's what they believe that they've been brainwashed to believing if they do any critical thinking and disagree with the mainstream narrative that they are crazy conspiracy theorists and they don't want to join that side. So that, that's 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 the brainwashing that's happened, man. That's the way it goes, you know, but there are ramifications for all this. This is like like I mentioned on yesterday's show this 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 doctor, these, these four doctors and there are more of them who were fake doctors on Twitter who have been exposed as being totally fake accounts spreading this fear and hysteria and how many millions of people saw that stuff and believed it how many people did how many millions of people did it hurt or kill believing that information terrible stuff it really is i mean this is this is going to go down in one of our darkest periods in history the darkest periods in history no no i i i i i it's, it's almost like the reason i haven't interjected 30 seconds earlier is because it's almost like Every second since then, I could interject, and so I'm just trying to not interject for the sake of, you know, like, listenability. Um, 
Where do you come down, Mike, on this whole hoopla? Uh, and, and I, I mean, I think I have a, a good idea, but uh, where, where do you come down on this whole uh, GOP um, uh, speaker nonsense? And, and that's the best way I can put it. Just, just nonsense. Yeah, I think the process played out the way it should have, and you know, it, 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 you know, it it uh, it, it played out, uh, you know, and this and McCarthy won, you know, and I think it, I think it was always fairly predictable that he was going to win, but it took its course, and they got a lot of good, you know, concessions out of it, and they made him work for it, and they made him sweat a little bit, and they actually put the Constitution into, you know, they actually did demo- they did democracy for a few days. I know it's shocking. It's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking yeah. to people that they were doing democracy and they were following the Constitution for a few days. That that shocks a lot of people, especially in the legacy media. Um, but uh, it's fine. I think you know, they'll be stronger for it. Let's see more of it. Let Let's see more. Yeah, of Mike, it. Uh, you know, like th- this is just speaking from like uh, the, uh, you know, middle of the country. I think it, I think the rest of the country, and I'm someone that like. I actually particularly like parliamentarian rules or like in the sense that like I, I find a general interest in that. Yeah, yeah. Gobble, yeah. That, that, yeah. that gobbledygook. But like in the sense of this where it's just a basic majoritarian thing and we're not coming to a consensus on it. Yeah, to me, this didn't feel anything other than I'm like, I don't – I've never felt more outside of my own country because, quite frankly, this is – it's not quite literally a parliamentarian on the – again, we're getting really in the weeds. <laughs> a parliamentarian is on the Senate side, not on the House side, but um, these are par- these are effectively parliamentarian rules that dictate the House, and what – were dictating the House for the last few days were parliamentarian rules. So <laughs> what you effectively saw in practice were Western European parliamentarian style, you know, legislative yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, effect to which if you follow Western European politics, if, if, if you follow Western European politics, the last few days have not been like weird or like unusual right. or Aryan. Like, you know what I mean? They've just been like, okay, there's been an inner dispute within a, um, a party. This is very normal. Of course. Of course it is. Of course. And, and like, yes, it might be kind of unusual within the American system, but it's not in, in actually as people bring up because it's, it's, it's happened before. It's not unheard of. But when you're talking about majorities that are this slim, it's actually very predictable that you're going to have these kind of parliamentarian inter-party fights mm-hmm. um, because that's, effectively – Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. If the Republicans had had 240 instead of 222, McCarthy probably would have won in five seconds. He would have gotten oh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 he yeah. walks away with it. Right, right. So actually, it's, it's in, a, in a way, it might have been – this is a very good point you just made. I think it, it might have been a blessing in disguise that they only won by a few because they had to go through this process that they not would, they wouldn't have gone through. 
Yeah, and they wouldn't have gotten these great concessions, these very common sense concessions. These aren't extreme concessions. The left wing will try to present them as extreme concessions, but they're all common sense concessions that they got. And that never would have happened if the Republicans had a wave, a tidal wave, you know. So that's a good thing. So no, no, no. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I love the concessions. The point being is just like this concept that like it's exactly is the way you phrase it, that like. There's a speaker, and a speaker dictates X, Y, Z. Well, no. Just, like, conceptually, how our, our government, and I'm putting loosely, air quotes, democracy, is set up is the House of Representatives is supposed to be the most closely representative of the popular voice, meaning it should be very chaotic, um, and Kayedi, and um, taking on all of the different interests and voices uh, that, that that represent the uh, the different different interests within the country. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. You know, it's there. This has been my problem with both parties for a long time, and this is why maybe this last four days have been refreshing for me is that there's too much of this group thing within each party, right? That you have much march and lockstep. If you're a D or an R, you all have to march in lockstep and think the same way about everything. And that's been a problem and the cultishness of the two party system. And this was refreshing because it was like, no, we're not going to be a cult this time around. In the next two years, we're not going to be a cult. If you're into cults, we're not your thing. If we're into cults, my the democratic party is your thing. And I think that's refreshing. I really do. Have, have you heard this um, term? And I, I think it was passed by the president that said uh, th the current GOP was embarrassing. I think the words were embarrassing. <laughs> Aside from whatever, okay, politics be politics. Whatever. I, you know, I, I, I don't really, frankly, care. Like, he could say whatever he wants to say. I mean, Lord knows he says whatever he wants to say. But, like, I, I actually, to be honest with you, it's one of those, like, insults where I'm like, I actually don't even understand the insult. I'm like, <laughs> so the party took four days to decide who the speaker was? Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. actually, to me, I'm kind of like, wow, that is, like, actually a sign of a healthy democracy. <laughs> like, of course. That, that, that is actually again. the most impressive thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, you're using common sense, Xander, and most people don't. Once again, it's just very easy for the establishment part of the Republican Party to say, oh, no, it had to be quicker. This is bad for our party to do this. And it's very easy for the left legacy media and the left people on Democrats to say, look at how disorganized they are, because most people in this country don't understand what democracy in action actually looks like. They just don't. They don't get it enough to understand what it looks like. If, the, Like you said, if this was like I I'd mentioned earlier, and we talked with Gator, the UK parliament or other parliaments, people in those countries would not think this is a big deal. They wouldn't think it's a big. They would even give it a second. It's very chance. normal. Very normal, right? But here it can be passed off as being extreme, and they're all nuts, you know, and they're splintered. And it's just that that you know, once again, it's just more lies. It's more lies and distortion coming from the legacy media, you know. So uh, uh, it, it's it's just. Uh, I think it'll be proven to really help the Republican Party. I really do, you know. I really do, Xander. I'm gonna let you go. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Th thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the perspective.
All right. So um, I guess, as always, on a Friday night, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. This has been a heavy week. It's been I didn't think this was going to be the first week of the year. I thought things would would get would have, you know, start to speed up after the holidays. But I didn't think the first week was going to be like this. So now we'll see what happens come next week. The real legislating part of his story starts. The 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 uh, hearings part of our movie, the committee's part of our movie will start and the subpoenas will start rolling out on Monday. <clears throat> I hope Anthony Fauci has no uh, plans to, <clears throat> to head anywhere. I know he retired last week. I hope he has no plans because I'm guessing he's going to be one of the first people to be subpoenaed. But on a lighter note. <laughs> Thank you, John Williams and the Boston Pops. I really appreciate every Friday night. And look at this. It's almost one o'clock in the morning here. It's, it's almost one o'clock in the morning here in San Francisco. Sorry. Gotta, come on. Uh, shut up. Shut up, guys. Be quiet. Be quiet. Okay. Thanks. Uh, every, every Friday night they come into my apartment and they play this music for me, which I think is fantastic. I don't pay them anything. Um, okay. Well, I have a couple of films too. Now, as, as most of you know, especially for avid moviegoers, and I know there are a few of you out there, once we get past the Hollywood, the Hollywood, the, the, the holiday season, and the Oscar season, and we move into January, the movies tend to get really shitty. Um, because if they're any good, the movie companies want to release them before the end of the year so they can have Oscar consideration. So usually the January to like March, April period is, is horrible. Then we get the summer blockbuster movies, which can be interesting, superhero movies. Then we go into the you know, Oscar season in the fall. But... The first one I saw, I'm going to do two films today. The first one is called A Man Called Otto, and this is uh, Tom Hanks. And when I saw the trailers for this, I said, oh, shit, this is being released in January. It was Tom Hanks. Oh, no, it's a bomb. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's very predictable. This film doesn't do anything that you're not going to know well ahead of time. It's a very predictable arc, okay? It's about a guy. He's grumpy, um, you know, later years of life, grumpy guy. Well, grumpy guy in his 60s, they do make Tom Hanks look a little bit older than he is. But let's say a grumpy guy in his 60s who lives in Pittsburgh, very particular kind of guy, likes things a particular way, likes the way his lawn is mowed, doesn't want neighbor's cats peeing on his lawn, screams them to get off the lawn, that kind of a guy, grumpy Archie Bunker kind of a guy. And we realize he's that way because his wife of many years just recently died of cancer. And he's kind of withdrawn from life, right? He's kind of withdrawn from life to himself, doesn't want to deal with people. Um, and uh, just wants to actually wants to kill himself. He wants to end his life. And the movie really begins with him calling the electric company to shut off the electric, cut off, shut off the phone, shut off everything. And he does make several attempts at his at ending his life, which have kind of a dark but also a, a darkly comic tone to them because none of them work. He's never able to do it for one reason or another. Usually because uh, a nosy neighbor is doing something that annoys him and that distracts his attention. And so as we go through the film, he meets new people, a Latino couple that move across the street. And at first he's annoyed by them, and then he becomes friendly with them, and they enter his life. And uh, they, uh, they make him, of course, very busy in dealing with them, and they want him to not kill himself, and they want him to realize there are other people around who can help him through this period in his life. He ends up 
uh, taking in a cat, stray cat, who at first he wants to kick to the curb, then of course he takes him in. And so if you look at this arc, you know, okay, the guy's grumpy to begin with. He has a reason for being grumpy. We find out why. We get a little bit of his uh, earlier life when he was a, a teenager and guy in his 20s meeting his love of his life, who would die of cancer many years later. And actually the guy who plays him as a young man is Truman Hanks, Tom Hanks' son in real life. So there's some, you know, uh, connection there and continuity because his real son plays him as a young man. And the film is very predictable. It's based on a Swedish film called A Man Called Ove, O-V-E. I had not seen the Swedish version. One can imagine the Swedish version is going to be much darker and uh, probably is going to highlight the suicide stuff more, be more of a maybe bleak, dark comedy. It's the American version, but it's not totally sanitized. It's not totally sentimental. It could have been. But I think the reason why it, 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 it works and we know where it's going and it's a tearjerker and we know it's playing with our heartstrings, but we don't mind so much is because Tom Hanks really brings a, a real edge to this guy. All right. When he's nasty, he's really nasty. And I think Tom Hanks didn't want to play this guy as just some sentimental, mushy fool who, as the film goes along, changes and realizes life is worth living, blah, 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 blah. Even though it is generally that predictable, I think Tom Hanks and the performances really make it worthwhile. It is a tearjerker. There's no doubt about it. But I think Hanks' performance carries the film through and makes it, lifts it, and makes it a better film than it would have been if it was some other generic actor uh, playing the lead role. I do want to see the Swedish version. The Swedish version definitely got better reviews. And once again, it, it's an American version of a foreign film can be total trash. It could have been totally stripped down, and maybe it would have worked a lot less if not for the very smart decision to have Tom Hanks in the lead role. And it's actually nice to see Tom Hanks sometimes not playing just, you know, the all-American nice guy. Um, so a man called Otto, I would say, you know, definitely recommend it more than I don't. Certainly one to see. Uh, the film I saw today before coming on the air is called Megan. And I think many people may have seen the, the trails for this one. This is about a, <laughs> this is a, uh, a child whose parents just recently died in a car crash and she goes to live with her aunt and her aunt um, develops toys, but technologically advanced toys. And the aunt is working on this toy, which looks like an actual real girl. And uh, it, it looks, it talks like a real girl. It can learn. It's, uh, as you would say, tethered. It connects with the girl who, if you, the owner, and becomes smarter the more you talk to him. Just the way we have a lot of technological advances now. Like I say, the more you talk to Siri, the more you talk to, you know, Alexa, the, the smarter they will become and the more they will learn. And the same thing goes for this. this there's Alexa. See, as I say the name, this is great. This is perfect timing. As I say the name, it just comes on. Sometimes you can't control it. And that's kind of the, this movie is at its best. It really, the idea is Megan, of course, becomes too smart and becomes too protective of the little girl. And it's a, Megan looks like a very lifelike doll. It can move in a very lifelike way. And actually, there's actually a real young actress playing this doll with prosthetics, of course, added on top of her and a different actress voicing her. Um, and, and so it's a very creepy looking doll. But to the girl who just lost her parents, she meets a new friend and this friend is very protective of her. Let's say the friend becomes overly <laughs> protective of her. 
<laughs> and takes on a mind of her own. The film is at its best, really, when it's really talking about how we have gotten so connected to technology these days, so t- so connected to things like Siri, so connected to our cell phones, so connected to technological advances, so connected to, boy, I just got invited to use a new service, which is a, a self-driving car. It's called Cruise, right? Self-driving. There are no people. There's no, there's no driver. So we've gotten so connected to technology, we've kind of tuned out to actual real personal connections. And, and that's the whole thread throughout the whole film is how this woman, this aunt who takes her in and is very busy, would like to have this doll actually take care of her and become a de facto parental figure so she can do things like work on her work life and not have to, you know, deal with uh, some of the things that come along with taking care of a young child. So the film's at its best when it's really showing us how we've gotten so attached to technology and how technology can literally maybe in this sense take over our lives and take on a mind of its own. Uh, obviously this doll is four feet tall and we have to suspend the belief that this doll can do some very nasty things as the film goes along. It's not really a scary film. I wouldn't call this a horror film. There's nothing scary about this. Um, it's just, it, it, the film understands how absurd its idea is, and it kind of revels in that absurdity. There's some really uh, dark, over-the-top performances, some dark, over-the-top humor. You know the film really understands how silly it is when Megan starts singing pop lyrics to the girl to soothe her, and it's kind of very creepy and very funny at the same time. So the film gets what it is. The problem with films like this is that while it gets how absurd it is, and it has fun with that absurdity, it also wants to be a horror film and a thriller. So about three quarters of the way through, you know there's going to be a point where the doll just goes crazy and and starts, you know, a murder spree and killing people. And so it's kind of to the point where it gets to the point where the whole whole black comedy and and the the tongue-in-cheek stuff starts to wear off and the film just goes into that usual basic horror film mode that we've seen in films like you know well you can compare it to films like chucky right this is kind of like chucky meets the terminator so in the end the film kind of wants to have it both ways right it wants to be this this really tug-in-cheek thing with the audience can laugh with it and how absurd it is and then it also wants to be this thriller slash horror film where this doll ends up going on obviously you know uh, a murder spree and killing people uh in the name of protecting the little girl. So it doesn't really, in the end, it doesn't really work, right? Because it tries to have it both ways. And the whole, the whole humor aspect of the film wears off after a while. And of course, we just watched a doll do things that obviously, you know, a, a, a Fulford doll couldn't actually do. But um, it's not the worst film. It really isn't. I mean, for a while, it's actually pretty funny. And like I said, it doesn't make a lot of good points about how connected we are to our, uh, you know, technological advances now. Um, so it's sort of a mixed, I say a mixed review for Megan. If I'm going to choose between a man called Otto and Megan, I'd see a man called, Otto. obviously a very different film. So it depends on what you're in the mood for. Uh, Megan's not a tearjerker. So if you're in the mood for a tearjerker, go see a man called Otto. And like I said, Megan does have its strong points. It does have it. There, there, there are a lot of positives about it. Um, but in the end, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it or not recommend it. Let's put it that way. I give it a mixed review. So those are the two films that I saw this week. What will I see next week? I don't know. I don't know. But I do want to say that it's been a very, 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 very interesting week. 
I think it's been a different week. Let's put it that way. I think it's been a week where things happen that we don't usually see. And, and, and this is the truth, right? It's the fact of the matter, right? A hundred years. This has not happened in a hundred years. We haven't had this many rounds in 156 years. So it's something that we're not used to seeing. And we shouldn't just buy into, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we shouldn't just buy into the mainstream media, the legacy media interpretation of it as, oh, this is so, this is so different. This is so out of the ordinary that it's out of line, right? Why can't they just do it the way it's always been done? Why do they, why do they have to try to be special? Why do they have to be so extreme to do something like this? Oh, my God, four days of debating. Why do they have to be so extreme? We shouldn't buy into that crap. Whether you like Kevin McCarthy or not, I think the process was good. I think the process worked. And I think not just the Republican Party, but I think democracy, the American democracy will be better because of it. I'm going to end on a positive note. How about that? Okay, this show airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. if you're on the other side of that big pond. Um, The show is called And Let's Be Heard. And have a good weekend, everyone. I'll see you right back here on Monday night. I'm Mike Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.